Good afternoon, and welcome to this broadcast of Story Garden by the Braille Institute of America, brought to you by Ayers L.A. I'm Max Flehinger. And I'm Anne-Marie Howard. Story Garden is one of a series of live programs by the Braille Institute that features celebrities reading stories to blind and low-vision children and then talking with the kids afterwards. Today's guest is Tom Kenny, the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants, known to kids everywhere. We're at the Los Angeles Airport Marriott Hotel, where this program is part of the California Teachers and Educators of the Visually Handicapped, the CTEVH Conference. For those few of you who don't know, Tom Kenny does voice work for cartoons, video games, and commercials. He has described himself as a man of a thousand voices. His most famous vocal creation is, of course, SpongeBob SquarePants, the kitchen sponge on Nickelodeon. Kenny's SpongeBob squeaks and giggles have been described as a potent combination of Jerry Lewis' geek mania and Pee Wee Herman's pathologic optimism. <laughs> Kenny and Bobcat Goldway were best friends from their childhood. They attended the same parochial elementary school, and they first worked together when they were hired as a team by Barry Crimmins. He's now a successful comic and political commentator himself. Kenny and Bobcat Goldthwaite performed stand-up together at local clubs as Tomcat and Bobcat, and they co-founded a local comedy troupe called Generic Comics. Kenny remembers a conversation with Goldthwaite from the mid-'70s high school days when they asked each other whose showbiz careers they wanted to emulate, who they wanted to be most like, and Goldthwaite said he wanted to be John Belushi. Kenny said he wanted to be Mel Blanc. Of course, there was little career to be had if Kenny had stayed in Syracuse. He bagged groceries at Price Chopper for six years before leaving for Boston and eventually for San Francisco. His comedy evolved into impressions at Sketchwork and he auditioned for Saturday Night Live, where he was a finalist when the show had two openings, which were filled by David Spade and Rob Schneider. Kenny's uh, first steady paycheck as a performer was Fox's sketch comedy The Edge, where he worked with Jennifer Aniston, Julie Brown, Wayne Knight, and Alan Ruck, among others. He later found success on HBO's sketch show Mr. Show with Bob and David, eventually marrying fellow ensemble comic Jill Talley. Tom Kenny's well-known for his vocal abilities. Almost any American with TV is probably familiar with his work. Kenny's cartoon voices can be heard on Batman as the Penguin, Cat Dog, Cow and Chicken as Duck Duck Chicken, Dave the Barbarian, Dexter's Laboratory, Dilbert as Ratbert, Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights, The Fairly Odd Parents, Futurama, Mission Hill, The Mummy, Peter Cottontail, The Powerpuff Girls as the Mayor and the Narrator, Rocco's Modern Life, and Stripperella. He voiced Tweety Bird for Looney Tunes hey, video games. And we're just about ready to start here, so we're going to take a break and introduce Tom Kenny soon. We're really lucky we have our friend Tom Kenny, the voice of SpongeBob, with us. He's going to read a couple stories to you. We also have uh, free large print and braille books. He did a reading for us in October, and we have a bunch of these left over. And the book he's going to read today, we're going to produce and have available in a couple weeks. So if you need that, give us a shout. We'll send you a copy. Oh, no. I should have been closer to the stage. This dead air is killing me. Hey, let's hear it for Peter Mancini. Give him a hand. Hey, guys. Everybody having a good time? Here's what I think. I think you guys should give all the volunteers and the teachers and yourselves a big round of applause. Get loud because we're near the airport and there's planes going over. We have to drown out those planes. Woo! 
Wow. I, uh, like Peter said, in October, I did a, a reading at the Braille Institute in Hollywood down on Melrose Avenue. Any of you guys, uh, were any of you guys there? Or have you been there? Yeah? Just a couple of people were there? Good. I can do the exact same tired, stale jokes. Awesome. No. Thanks for coming. This is really exciting to read to you guys. I love reading, and obviously with what I do for a living, which is funny voices for cartoons, reading and being able to read quickly and remember what you read is very important. That's the only reason I have a job. So keep your Braille skills up. Keep on reading. Read as much as you can. Read everything you can get your hands on. It'll, you'll be glad you did. Take it from me. Um, let's see. I think first, since, uh, since we were talking about SpongeBob... Um, I do a voice, voices for a lot of cartoons, but SpongeBob uh, SpongeBob is probably the best known. So, does anybody here know how to do the SpongeBob laugh? Yeah. Hey. Oh, that was wow. You guys are good. Let me see you do it again. Oh, see, he's got see, he's got the hand thing. See, there, there, there was uh, Sam here in the front was putting his hand up and down on his neck. That's how I do it. You got to make it sound like. Like that, like a smoke detector that's low on batteries. And then I take the side of my hand and move it up and down on my neck while I'm doing that sound. <laughs> What's your name that just sat down in the front? Jack. Hey, Jack. You, are, you do a very good SpongeBob. That's very good. Well, I brought a couple of books today. You guys like books? You like stories? Cool. Well, I brought one SpongeBob one and one non-SpongeBob one. I brought a Dr. Seuss uh, book because uh, Monday is Read Across America Day. I don't know if you guys knew that or if they're doing anything in your school, right? And it's Dr. Seuss's, gosh, hundred and something birthday, right? He was a, he turned a hundred a couple. It's his hundred and fourth birthday. Okay, wow, that's good. I'm, I'm very impressed, Sam. So we'll read a Dr. Seuss uh, book in his honor. But first, we'll get started with SpongeBob. This is one I've never read. I just bought it at Barnes & Noble last night. Yes, I have to buy my own SpongeBob books because Nickelodeon's cheap. And <laughs> this one is called Trouble at the Krusty Krab. You read this one? Is it good? I brought a bookmark in case I don't get through the whole thing today. No, it's thin. It's only about maybe 30 pages. And I think this is a scene from the movie. This is kind of uh, the dream sequence from the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. And it starts out like this. There was trouble at the Krusty Krab. Police helicopters circled above town. The people of Bikini Bottom had gathered to see what was going on. News reporters came up to the owner, Mr. Krabs. The people want to know what is going on, asked a reporter. Settle down, please, shouted Mr. Krabs. We have a problem here that I'd rather not discuss until my manager gets here. I don't do Mr. Krabs on the show, as you can tell. You sound patchy. I am patchy. <laughs> wow, Bethany, you are good. <laughs> I am patchy the pirate. I know when I try to do Mr. Krabs, it just comes out as patchy. I just, I just have the one pirate voice. That's pretty much all I have in my pirate buccaneer trick bag. <laughs> just then, a car pulled up and outstepped. SpongeBob SquarePants. The crowd cheered. I said the crowd cheered. Yeah. Wow. You guys are good. Have you ever been a crowd before? You guys are good. My manager is here, cried Mr. Krabs with a sigh of relief. The day is saved. He will know what to do. Talk to me, Krabs, said SpongeBob. 
It started out as a simple order, a Krabby Patty with cheese, said Mr. Krabs. So what went wrong? Asked SpongeBob. The customer took a bite and, 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 Mr. Krabs couldn't go on. Spit it out, Krabs, cried SpongeBob. There was no cheese, shouted Mr. Krabs as he started to cry. Get a hold of yourself, Eugene, cried SpongeBob. SpongeBob faced the crowd. Okay, everyone, said SpongeBob. I'm going in. Patrick ran up to SpongeBob and begged, Do not do it. It's too dangerous. SpongeBob smiled. Don't worry. Dangerous is my middle name. As SpongeBob walked up to the door, he said, If I don't make it back alive, give all my jellyfishing nets to Squidward. I don't want them, yelled Squidward from the crowd. The crowd watched as SpongeBob entered the Krusty Krab. Will SpongeBob be able to get some cheese on that patty, Mr. Krabs? asked a reporter. He has to. He must, said Mr. Krabs. But what if he can't, asked the reporter. Then the world as we know it is over, cried Mr. Krabs. The customer who had ordered the Krabby Patty sat in the corner of the restaurant. He looked up at SpongeBob. Who are you? he asked. I'm the manager of this place, said SpongeBob. I'm really scared, man, cried the customer. SpongeBob replied, don't worry. Everything is going to be fine. Outside, the crowd waited. A reporter spoke into a microphone saying, SpongeBob has been inside for ten seconds. The suspense is killing me, cried Mr. Krabs. Me too, said Patrick, eating an ice cream cone. Doesn't seem too worried. Back inside, SpongeBob sat down with a customer. Do you have a name? asked SpongeBob. My name is Phil, said the customer. SpongeBob nodded and said, That's a good name. You do not understand, screamed Phil. I can't take it, man. There was no cheese. Stay with me, Phil. Stay with me, said SpongeBob. Do you have a family? Yeah, replied Phil. I have a lovely wife and two great children. That's what it's all about, said SpongeBob. (laughs) Okay, Phil, said SpongeBob. Stay calm. I'm just going to open my briefcase. Why, cried Phil. I have only got one shot at this, and I have to get out the right tools for the job, said SpongeBob. SpongeBob reached into the briefcase and and pulled out a pair of solid gold tweezers. Solid gold tweezers, shouted Phil. Yes, they are, said SpongeBob. Now I want you to do me a favor, Phil, said SpongeBob. What, Phil asked. Say cheese, said SpongeBob, as he pulled out a slice of... Cheese! Oh, I should have brought my camera. I had all you guys saying cheese there. (laughs) SpongeBob carefully put the cheese onto the Krabby Patty. Success! The cheese was on the Krabby Patty. SpongeBob marched out of the Krusty Krab with a smiling Phil by his side. Order up! cried SpongeBob. SpongeBob, I'd like to give you the Manager of the Year Award, said Mr. Krabs. SpongeBob just smiled back, looking pleased with himself. Then Mr. Krabs turned to Phil and said, And you, 
That'll be $2.95 for the Krabby Patty Phil. Suddenly, the crowd gathered around SpongeBob and lifted him up in the air. Three cheers for the manager, cried Mr. Krabs. Hip, hip, honk. Hip, hip, shouted Mr. Krabs. Honk, 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 honk. What is that noise? Wondered SpongeBob. Sounds like an alarm clock going off to me, said Patrick. It is my alarm clock, said SpongeBob. I must be dreaming. You know, his alarm clock goes... SpongeBob woke up in his bed. Gary, I had my favorite dream again about being the manager of the Krusty Krab. Do you think it'll ever happen, Gary? (laughs) Said Gary. SpongeBob smiled. Gary, that is exactly how I feel. The end. Yeah. Fun. That was fun. That's a... First time I've ever read that one. You guys got your SpongeBob shirts on. Yeah, well, we'll do a little question and answer at the end, okay? Want to read one more story? Are we cool for one more? This is a good one. This is a, anybody ever read? You know, a lot of the Dr. Seuss books that we that we know of are the rhyming ones. But before he, in his early days, he he wrote some. Uh, Stories that didn't have, you know, all the rhyming language in it, including this one called The 500 Hats of Bartholomew Cubbins. Everybody read that? Yes. You've read that one? Yes. That's an oldie. You have this whole book? It's six books in one. It weighs over 50 pounds. See, this is, this is as close as I get to working out, is lifting these heavy books. It's a good one. So this, this is a great story about this kid named Bartholomew Cubbins who starts growing hats on his head and he can't figure out where the heck they're coming from. Hey, wait a minute. Is the boy who was playing the piano? Is that him back there? Wow. Did anybody hear this boy playing the piano? What's your name, sir? Rex? Wow. Rex, that was unbelievable. The only thing you did wrong? You didn't put a tip jar on top of the piano. You could have made hundreds of dollars, Rex. I, w- I would have put at least 20 bucks in there. Dee, 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 dee. I can't play anything. I can't even play chopsticks. Really? I can barely eat with chopsticks. <laughs> wow. Well, Rex, I was very impressed with your playing. Thank you very much for, for playing that pretty music for us. So here's, uh, here's Bartholomew Cubbins, the 500 hats of Bartholomew Cubbins. In the beginning... Bartholomew Cubbins didn't have 500 hats. He had only one hat. It was an old one that had belonged to his father and his father's father before him. It was probably the oldest and the plainest hat in the whole kingdom of Did, where Bartholomew Cubbins lived. But Bartholomew liked it, especially because of the feather that always pointed up straight into the air. The kingdom of Did was ruled by King Derwin. His palace stood high on the top of the mountain. From his balcony, he looked down over the houses of all his subjects, first over the spires of the noblemen's castles, across the broad roofs of the rich men's mansions, then over the little houses of the townsfolk to the huts of the farmers far off in the fields. It was a mighty view, and it made King Derwin feel mighty important. Far off in the fields, on the edge of a cranberry bog, stood the hut of the Cubbins family. From the small door, Bartholomew looked across the huts of the farmers, 
to the houses of the townsfolk, then to the rich men's mansions and the noblemen's castles, up to the great towering palace of the king. It was exactly the same view that King Derwin saw from his balcony, but Bartholomew saw it backward. It was a mighty view, but it made Bartholomew Cubbins feel mighty small. Just after sunrise one Saturday morning, Bartholomew started for town. He felt very happy. A pleasant breeze whistled through the feather in his hat. In his right hand, he carried a basket of cranberries to sell at the market. He was anxious to sell them quickly and bring the money back home to his parents. He walked faster and faster till he got to the gates of the town. The sound of silver trumpets rang through the air. Hoofbeats clattered on the cobbled streets. Clear the way! Clear the way! Make way for the king! All the people rushed for the sidewalks. They drove their carts right up over the curbstones. Bartholomew clutched his basket tighter. Around the corner dashed 50 trumpeters on yellow-robed horses. Behind them, on crimson-robed horses, came the king's own guards. Hats off to the king! shouted the captain of the king's own guards. On came the king's carriage, white and gold and purple. It rumbled like thunder through the narrow street. It swept past Bartholomew. Then suddenly, its mighty brakes shrieked. It lurched, and then it stopped. The whole procession stood still. Bartholomew could hardly believe what he saw. Through the side window of the carriage, the king himself was staring back, straight back at him. Bartholomew began to tremble. Back up, the king commanded the royal coachman. The royal coachman shouted to the royal horses. The king's own guards shouted to their crimson-robed horses. The trumpeters shouted to their yellow-robed horses. Very, very slowly, the whole procession backed down the street until the king's carriage stopped right in front of Bartholomew. The king leaned from his carriage window and fixed his eyes directly on Bartholomew Cubbins. Well? Well? He demanded. Bartholomew shook with fright. I ought to say something, he thought to himself, but he could think of nothing to say. Well? demanded the king again. Do you or do you not take off your hat before your king? Yes, indeed, sire answered Bartholomew, feeling greatly relieved. I do take off my hat before my king. Then take it off this very instant, commanded the king more loudly than before. But, sire, my hat is off, answered Bartholomew. Such impudence, shouted the king, shaking an angry finger. How dare you stand there and tell me your hat is off? I don't like to say you're wrong, sire, said Bartholomew very politely. But you see, my hat is off. And he showed the king the hat in his hand. If that's your hat in your hand, demanded the king, what's that on your head? On my head, gasped Bartholomew. There did seem to be something on his head. He reached up his hand and touched. <gasps> a hat? The face of Bartholomew Cubbins turned very red. It's a hat, sire, he stammered. But it can't be mine. Someone behind me must have put it on my head. I don't care how it got there, said the king. You take it off. And the king sat back in his carriage. Bartholomew quickly snatched off the hat. He stared at it in astonishment. It was exactly the same as his own hat, the same size, the same color, and it had exactly the same feather. By the crown of my fathers, roared the king again, leaning out of the carriage window. Did I or did I not command you to take off your hat? You did, sire. I took it off. I took it off twice. Nonsense. There is still a hat upon your head. Another hat, 
Again, Bartholomew reached up his hand and touched <gasps> a hat. Come, come, what is the meaning of all this? Demanded the king, his face purple with rage. I don't know, sire, answered Bartholomew. It never happened to me before. The king was now shaking with such fury that the carriage rocked on its wheels and the royal coachman could hardly sit in his seat. Arrest this impudent trickster, shouted the king to the captain of the king's own guards. We'll teach him to take off his hat. The royal coachman cracked his long whip. The king's carriage swung forward up the street toward the palace. But the captain of the king's own guards leaned down from his big brass saddle and grabbed Bartholomew Cubbins by his shirt. Away flew Bartholomew's basket. The cranberries bounced over the cobblestones and rolled down into the gutter. With a jangling of spurs and a clatter of horseshoes, the captain and Bartholomew sped up the winding street toward the palace. Out of the narrow streets, on up the hill, Bartholomew clung to the captain's broad back. On and on they galloped. <laughs> past the bright gardens of the wealthy merchants, higher and higher up the mountain, on past the walls of the noblemen's castles. Flop! The sharp wind whisked off Bartholomew's hat. Flop, flop! Two more flew off. Flop, flop, flop! Flew another and another. Four, five, six, seven? Bartholomew kept counting as the hats came faster and faster. Lords and ladies stared from the windows of their turrets, wondering what the strange stream of hats could mean. Over the palace drawbridge they sped, through the great gates and into the courtyard. The captain pulled in his reins. His majesty waits in the throne room, said a guard, saluting the captain. The throne room! The captain dropped Bartholomew to the ground. I'd certainly hate to be in your shoes, he said, shaking his head sadly. For a moment, Bartholomew was terribly frightened. Still, he thought to himself, the king can do nothing dreadful to punish me because I really haven't done anything wrong. It would be cowardly to feel afraid. Bartholomew threw back his shoulders and marched straight ahead into the palace. Follow the black carpet, said the guard at the door. All through the long hallway, Bartholomew could hear the muttering of voices behind heavy doors. He won't take off his hat? No, he won't take off his hat. Bartholomew walked on till he stood in the very middle of the throne room. The king, in a long scarlet robe, was sitting on his throne. Beside him stood Sir Alaric, keeper of the king's records. He wore in his belt, instead of a sword, a long silver ruler. Lords and noblemen of the court stood solemn and silent. The king looked down at Bartholomew severely. Young man, I'll give you one more chance. Will you take off your hat for your king? Your majesty, said Bartholomew as politely as he possibly could. I will, but I'm afraid it won't do any good. And he took off his hat, and it didn't do any good. Another hat sat on Bartholomew's head. He took off hat after hat after hat after hat until he was standing in the middle of a great pile of hats. The lords and noblemen were so astonished they couldn't even speak. Such a thing had never happened in the throne room before. Heavens, said Sir Alaric, keeper of the records, blinking behind his triangular spectacles. He's taken off 45. And there were three more down in the town, said the king. And you must add on 87 more that blew off my head as we galloped up the hill, said Bartholomew, trying to be helpful. One hundred and thirty-five hats, most unusual, said Sir Alaric, writing it down on a long scroll. Come, come, said the king impatiently. Sir Alaric, what do you make of all this nonsense? A very serious nonsense, your majesty, answered Sir Alaric. I advise you to call in an expert on hats. Excellent, agreed the king. Oh, God, fetch in Sir Snips, maker of hats for all of the fine lords. Into the throne room marched the smallest man, wearing the tallest hat that Bartholomew had ever seen. It was Sir Snips, 
Instead of a sword, he wore at his side a large pair of scissors. Take a look at this boy's hat, commanded the king. Sir Snips looked at Bartholomew Cubbon's hat and sniffed in disgust. Then he turned to the king and bowed stiffly. Your Majesty, I, Sir Snips, am the maker of hats for all the fine lords. I make hats of cloth of gold, fine silks and gems and ostrich plumes. You ask me what I think of this hat? Pooh, it is the most ordinary hat I ever set eyes on. Well, in that case, said the king, it should be very simple for you to take it off. Simple indeed. Simple indeed. Well, what voice do we have for him? Oh, he was the New York guy. Simple indeed, <laughs> mumbled Sir Snips haughtily. And standing on his tiptoes, he pushed his pudgy thumb at Bartholomew's hat and knocked it to the floor. Immediately, another appeared on Bartholomew's head. Screebies, screamed Sir Snips, leaping in the air higher than he was tall. Then he turned and ran shrieking out of the throne room. Dear me, said the king, looking very puzzled. If Snips can't do it, this must be more than an ordinary hat. One hundred and thirty-six, wrote Sir Alaric, wrinkling his brow. Your majesty, I advise that you call in your wise men. A fine idea, said the king. Oh, God, bring me Nad. Nad knows about everything in all my kingdom. In came an old, old man. He looked at the hat on Bartholomew's head, and he looked at the pile of hats on the floor. Nad, my wise man. Can you take off his hat? Asked the king. Nad shook his head solemnly. Solemnly, no. Then fetch me the father of Nad, commanded the king. He knows about everything in all my kingdom and in all the world beyond. In came an even older man, but when he looked at Bartholomew's hats, the father of Nad merely locked his fingers across his beard and said, Nothing. Then bring me the father of the father of Nad, ordered the king. He knows about everything in all my kingdom and all the world beyond and in all other worlds that may happen to be. Then came the oldest man of them all, but he just looked at Bartholomew and nibbled nervously at the end of his beard. Does this mean there is no one in my whole kingdom who can take off this boy's hat? Bellowed the king in a terrifying voice. A small voice came up through the balcony window. What's the matter, Uncle Derwin? To Bartholomew, it sounded like the voice of a boy. The king stepped out on the balcony and leaned over the marble railing. There's a boy in here, just about your age, the king said. He won't take off his hat. Bartholomew tiptoed up behind the king and looked down. There stood a boy with a big lace collar, a very proud little boy with his nose in the air. It was the Grand Duke Wilfred, nephew of the king. You send him down here, said the Grand Duke Wilfred. I'll fix him. The king thought for a minute. He pushed back his crown and scratched his head. Well, maybe you can. There's no harm trying. Take him to the Grand Duke, Wilfred, commanded the king, and two of the king's own guards led Bartholomew out of the throne room. Pooh, said the Grand Duke, Wilfred, looking at Bartholomew's hat and laughing meanly. That hat won't come off. You stand over there. He pointed to a corner where the wall curved out. I need a little target practice with my bow and arrow. When Bartholomew saw that the Grand Duke Wilfred had only a child's bow, he didn't feel frightened. He spoke up proudly. I can shoot with my father's big bow. My bow is plenty big enough for shooting hats, especially hats like yours, answered Wilfred. And he let fly an arrow. It grazed Bartholomew's forehead and ripped off his hat. Away it blew and over the parapet. But another hat appeared on his head. The arrows flew till the Grand Duke's whole bag full of arrows was gone, and still a hat sat upon Bartholomew's head. 
It's not fair, cried the Grand Duke. It's not fair. He threw down his bow and stamped upon it. One hundred and fifty-four hats, gulped Sir Alaric. These hats are driving me mad. The king's voice rang out through all the palace. Why waste time with a child's bow and arrow? Fetch me the mightiest bow and arrow in all my realm. Fetch me the yeoman of the bowmen. Yeoman of the bowmen, echoed all the lords and noblemen of the court. A gigantic man strode out across the talus. Terrace, sorry. A gig- it's, it's kind of, if it's a terrace that's in a palace, it's a talus. I just made that up. A gigantic man strode out across the terrace. His bow was as big as the branch of a tree. The arrow was twice as long as Bartholomew and thicker than his wrist. Yeoman of the bowmen, said the king, shoot off this boy's hat and make it stay off. (laughs) Bartholomew was trembling so hard that he could scarcely stand straight. The yeoman bent back his mighty bow. (laughs) Like a mad giant hornet, the arrow tore through the air toward Bartholomew Cubbins. The sharp arrowhead bit through his hat and carried it off on and on for a full half mile. It plunked to a stop in the heart of an oak tree. Yet there on Bartholomew's head sat another hat. The face of the yeoman of the bowmen went white as the palace walls. It's black magic, he shrieked. Black magic, that's just what it is, sighed the king with relief. I should have thought of that before. That makes things simple. Back to the throne room. Call my magicians. In the whole throne room, there wasn't a sound as loud as a breath. But from the spiral stairs that led down from the southwest tower came the shuffling of slow, padded feet. The magicians were coming. Low and slow, they were chanting words that were strange. Dig a hole five furlongs deep down to where the night snakes creep. Mix and mold the mystic mud. Melba, Belba, Tidder, Tud. In came seven black-gowned magicians, and beside each one stalked a lean black cat. They circled around Bartholomew Cubbins, muttering deep and mysterious sounds. Stop this useless muttering, ordered the king. I want a chant that will charm away this boy's hat. The magicians huddled over Bartholomew and chanted, Winkabis, tinkabis, photogee clay, hat on this demon's head, fly far away. Howl, men, howl away, howl away, howl away. Yowl, cats, yowl away, yowl away, yowl away. Hat on this demon's head, seep away, creep away, leap away, gleep away. Never come back. Ah, mighty good chant, said the king, looking very pleased. Are you sure it will work? All the magicians nodded together. But, said the king, looking puzzled, there still seems to be a hat upon his head. How long will it take for the charm to work? Be calm, O sire, and have no fears, chanted the magicians. Our charm will work in ten short years. (laughs) Ten years? gasped the king. Hooray, fools, he shouted. Out of my sight, I can't wait ten years to get rid of this hat. Oh, dear, what can I do? What can I do? If I were king, whispered the Grand Duke Wilfred, I'd chop off his head. A dreadful thought, said the king, biting his lip. But I'm afraid I'll have to. Young man, he said to Bartholomew Cubbins, and he pointed to a small door at the end of the room. March down those steps to the dungeon and tell the executioner to chop off your head. Bartholomew's heart sank into his boots. But he did as the king commanded. I must take off my hat, he said to himself as he started down the long black stairway. This is my last chance. 
One head after another, he tore from his head. 156, 157, 158. It grew colder and damper. 217, 218, 219. Down, down, down. 231, 232, 233. It seemed to Bartholomew he must be in the very heart of the mountain. Who's there? Said a voice from the blackness. Bartholomew turned a corner and stepped into the dungeon. The executioner was whistling and swinging his axe idly because at the moment he had nothing to do. In spite of his business, he really seemed to be a very pleasant man. The king says, you must chop off my head, said Bartholomew. Oh, I'd hate to, said the executioner, looking at him with a friendly smile. You seem like such a good boy. Well, the king says you have to, said Bartholomew, so please get it over with. All right, said the executioner, but first you got to take off your hat. Why? asked Bartholomew. I don't know, said the executioner, but it's one of the rules. I can't execute anyone with his hat on. All right, said Bartholomew. You take it off for me. The executioner leaned across the chopping block and flicked off Bartholomew's hat. What's this? He gasped, blinking through the holes in his mask as another hat sat on Bartholomew's head. He flipped this one off. Ding! Then another. Ding! And another. Ding! Fiddlesticks, grunted the executioner, throwing his axe on the floor. I can't execute you at all. And he shook hands with Bartholomew and sent him back upstairs to the king. The king had been taking a nap on the throne. What are you doing back here? He said to Bartholomew, angry at being awakened. I'm sorry, your majesty, explained Bartholomew. My head can't come off with my hat on. It's against the rules. So it can't, said the king, leaning back wearily. How, now, how many hats does that make altogether? The executioner knocked off 13, and I left 178 more on the dungeon steps, answered Bartholomew. 346 hats, mumbled Sir Alaric from behind his scroll. Uncle Derwin, yawned the Grand Duke Wilfred. I suppose I'll have to do away with him. Send him up to the highest turret, and I in person will push him off. Wilfred, I'm surprised at you, said the king. But I guess it's a good idea. So the king and the Grand Duke led Bartholomew Cubbins toward the highest turret. Up and up and up the turret stairs he climbed behind them. This is my last, my very last chance, thought Bartholomew. He snatched off his hat. 347. He snatched off another. He pulled and he tore and he flung them behind him. 398, 399. His arms ached from pulling off hats, but still the hats came. Bartholomew climbed on. 448, 449, 450, counted Sir Alaric, puffing up the stairs behind him. Suddenly, Sir Alaric stopped. He looked. He took off his triangular spectacles and wiped them on his sleeve. And then he looked again. The hats began to change. Hat 451 had not one, but two feathers. Hat 452 had three, and 453 also had three and a little red jewel. Each new hat was fancier than the hat just before. Your Majesty, Your Majesty, cried out Sir Alaric. But the king and the Grand Duke were way up where they couldn't hear. They had already reached the top of the highest turret. Bartholomew was following just behind. Step right out here and get out on that wall, snapped the Grand Duke Wilfred. I can't wait to push you off. But when Bartholomew stepped up on the wall, they gasped in amazement. He was wearing the most beautiful hat they had 
that had ever been seen in the kingdom of Did. It had a ruby larger than any the king himself had ever owned. It had ostrich plumes and cockatoo plumes and mockingbird plumes and paradise plumes. Besides such a hat, even the king's crown seemed like nothing. The Grand Duke Wilfred took a quick step forward. Bartholomew thought his end had come at last. Quaint, shouted the king. He could not take his eyes off the magnificent hat. I won't wait, the Grand Duke talked back to the king. I'm going to push him off now. That new big hat makes me madder than ever. And he flung out his arms to push Bartholomew off, but the king was quicker than Wilfred. He grabbed him by the back of his fine lace collar. This is to teach you, his majesty said sternly, that Grand Dukes never talk back to their king. And he turned the Grand Duke Wilfred over his knee and spanked him soundly right on the seat of his royal silk pants. And now, smiled the king, lifting Bartholomew down from the wall, it would be nice if you'd sell me that wonderful hat. 498, 499, broke in the tired voice of Sir Alaric, who had just arrived at the top of the stairs. And that, he pointed to the hat on Bartholomew's head, makes exactly 500. Five hundred, exclaimed the king. Will you sell it for five hundred pieces of gold? Anything you say, sire, answered Bartholomew. You see, I've never sold one before. The king's hands trembled with joy as he reached for the hat. Slowly, slowly, Bartholomew felt the weight of the great hat lifted from his head. He held his breath. Then suddenly he felt the cool evening breezes blow through his hair. His face broke into a happy smile. The head of Bartholomew Cubbins was bare. Look, your majesty, look, he shouted to the king. Now you look at me, answered the king, and he put the great hat on right over his crown. Arm in arm, the king and Bartholomew went down to the counting room to count out the gold. Then the king sent Bartholomew home to his parents. No basket on his arm, no hat on his head, but with 500 pieces of gold in a bag. And the king commanded that the hat he had bought, and all the other hats too, be kept forever in a great crystal case by the side of his throne. But neither Bartholomew Cubbins, nor King Derwin himself, nor anyone else in the kingdom of Did could ever explain how this strange thing had happened. They only say it just happened to happen and was not very likely to happen again. Thanks, guys. Wow. I didn't realize that was so long. You guys were so patient for that long story. Good job. And that concludes this program of Story Garden by the Braille Institute of America at the CTEVH conference in 2008. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you'd like to hear or have your friends hear a podcast of this program, you'll find it in a day or so at our website, airsla.org. That's A-I-R-S-L-A dot org. I'm Max Flahinger. And I'm Anne-Marie Howard. Thank you for listening.